Cinema Dune, a podcast where myself, John, and my friend Chris talk about Dune, because we've both seen Dune, and we want to talk about Dune. <laughs> Chris, uh, how are you feeling on this fine Dune day? Uh, I am feeling okay. I am only slightly under the weather, having just gotten my flu vaccination, uh, and the usual kind of achy, achy, dull, uh, dull pain that comes with that. But I am, I am, I am duned out. I have done a lot of Dune. <laughs> These last couple of days, so I'm ready to get a quick bonus episode squeezed in between our normal stuff and uh, talk to you about this movie. Yeah, the um, yeah, the, our nor- our normal scheduled uh, programming will be actually back next week. Uh, we don't usually narrow down like specific time frames on episodes that much, but uh, our our next episode is already recorded and uh, will be up a week from uh, a week from today when this uh, or a week from when this episode comes out. But we did having a uh, Having both now seen Dune and been quite uh, quite fond of it, I th- we thought we'd uh, do a little bit of extra Dune chat as a bonus for everyone. Um, <clears throat> Chris, do you want to give your uh, Dune bona fides uh, uh, before sure. we get into it? <laughs> sure. And one of the things I think we can talk about, too, is... Um, We've seen it in different ways. Uh, you took what I like to call the Villeneuve route and saw it on the theater as the director intended. And I, rebel scum that I am, uh, don't give a fuck what that guy says, and saw it on my television set. Uh, twice, actually, because HBO Max, you can watch it as much as you want. So um, as far as bona fides, I read the book um, probably for the first time when I was in high school, so back in the late 80s. Read it again when I was in college, probably read it again, oh, maybe 15, 20 years ago. Um, And uh, coincidentally, because I got into such a Dune fervor uh, over the last couple of days, I'm 300 pages into what's probably my fourth read-through of the series. So those are my bona fides. Obviously, I've seen uh, the David Lynch version of Dune. I think it was the first movie we were talking about this on uh, when we recorded the other podcast. I think Dune was the first movie I saw by myself in cinemas. Uh, So was like old enough to say, I want to see this movie. Mom, can you please drop me off and pick me up in two hours and give me money for popcorn and for the tickets? Uh, It was a totally adult move on my part. Uh, I think I may have seen bits and pieces of the sci-fi miniseries that came out. Um, I tried watching some clips of it the other day. Uh, I know some people have some fond memories of it. Uh, I definitely was not into what I was seeing. Uh, And again, now with the Denis Villeneuve um, version that just premiered on Friday, I've seen it twice. So those are my bona fides, John. What about you? Where do you come into this? Uh, I should also mention, uh, you mentioned up front that you don't care what Denis Villeneuve says. Uh, listeners of our podcast uh, might be surprised to know that uh, there was like a, a rather lengthy diatribe at the end of our Wong Kar Wai episode that we cut, uh, where uh, Chris uh, went on uh, about his feelings about Denis Villeneuve's comments about how you should see this in the movie theaters. Which, to be fair, I agree with you on, Chris, 100%. Um, and, uh, and this was my first movie movie in a theater since the pandemic like for uh there have been potentially other chances that i could have gone to 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 chance on stuff but this was the one where i said you know look this is the one i'm actually willing to to give it a try on (laughs) and for for what it's worth uh i'm i'm happy that i did uh i read dune for the first time during the pandemic and had seen the uh, and I had seen the Lynch movie a couple times. Um, I know that the 
I, I remember my parents being really excited about the sci-fi series, the sci-fi miniseries when it happened, but I never got around to seeing it. Uh, but no, um, yeah, I'm slowly working my way through the books uh, now. And at this point, I feel like I now have at least a, uh, a, a functional enough understanding of the 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 plot to like like the, the not obviously the there's the uh, the central thing is pre- pretty simple to follow but in terms of like the ins and outs of various factions and alliances and who's trying to do what I feel like I'm slowly you know slowly phasing that stuff in and it's starting to gel more for me and I think the the uh, those efforts actually help me to uh, to have a better sense of what's going on with uh, with this new version because my ultimate uh, take on this new version is that for as much as it makes sense for them to cut the movie in half and uh, so they can really like revel and uh, develop the various plot threads, it still kind of goes by at something. It goes by at sort of a non-stop pace in the sense that if you're not if you don't already know some things from the books there are things that just kind of get briefly alluded to and then you kind of have to put stuff together even though they're only they're going at half this plot speed of the of the lynch film um i mean does that track for you it does it's interesting um Uh, cause just kind of general in impressions. I, I told you, I saw it Thursday night, uh, HBO max premiered it on Thursday at like 6 PM Eastern time. So, um, knowing that we were going to be recording, uh, the horror episode on Friday, I'm like, let me take the Thursday evening and get it in. Um, and I loved it. I was completely taken with it. Um, and we'll talk about like the why and the stuff um, a little bit later when we get into it. Um, I was really taken. I thought it was great. I, th- I thought it had a, decent break like it kind of does a weird little arc and then stops um it is very clearly a half a movie that you know it's half a movie that has a good break but it's not a full movie still it's half a movie um but i'm you know if we never get it you and i'd have this conversation if if part two doesn't come to fruition okay you know i'm so glad i got to see some of the visuals and i got to see what i saw here although um just looking at some of the um numbers uh it made 40 million uh there that's what they're projecting for the weekend box office in north america um that's on top of i think another 130 million that it already made overseas and then when you count in for the next month month, what it's going to rack in over the rest of the box office. And then with the HBO Max numbers, um, I'm feeling pretty good that we're going to get a sequel. Now, that sequel may not come for three years uh, because they're going to have to get everybody back into the schedule and then, you know, get that running. But hopefully we will see the end of this. Now, that being said, I watched it again last night after watching um, the new 4K uh, restoration of Lynch's Dune. And I found interesting that really... Um, the Villeneuve version is a little under three hours. I think it's like two hours and 45, 46 minutes. The Lynch version, which does tell kind of the whole story, is only two hours and 16 minutes. So it's an extra half hour there. Um, there's a small part of me that's like, if they might have been able to get the whole movie in in about three hours, do like an Avengers length movie, you know, you have to sacrifice some stuff, but. Um, I still like it a lot, but I maybe like it a little bit less than I did the first viewing. And part of that might be because I watched it with my wife, whose response after we watched it was, it was good, but man, there's a lot of just 
people moving in slow motion, looking really beautiful. <laughs> if, if they had cut out another 15, 20 minutes of that, that would have given them an extra 45 minutes to actually make the full movie. Uh, and I can't falter for that. Um, I, I also now just kind of, I'm 300 pages into the book. Um, and it's really interesting what, it, there's obviously going to be a lot of comparisons to the Lynch version. Um, it's really interesting what each filmmaker focuses on and what each filmmaker doesn't focus on. One of the things that I found really interesting was uh, in the new version of Dune, it, not that it's important, but um, where Paul Atreides is sleeping on Arrakis when the Hunter Seeker comes out. Uh, his bed has like a uh, like a relief of like a fish and stuff on it. And it's literally perfectly built according to what is in the book. The book literally talks about what Paul Atreides' bed is like, and they nail it in the Delhi Villeneuve version. Uh, the Hunter Seeker, I was, you know, that comes out and has to um, uh, attack him. It's only five centimeters long in the book, and when I was kind of measuring visually, um, it's, you know, really accurate in the Delhi Villeneuve version, as opposed to the Dune version with Lynch, where it looks much more like a massive hypodermic needle that kind of floats out and, and stuff like that. But then on the Lynch side, Lynch does a lot more of the dialogue very straight from the book and these little, you know, tiny moments that he pulls from the book that Delhi Villeneuve does not. And then neither of them pull from the larger political and, uh, and, 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 and kind of bureaucratic intrigues that go on with like, there's a sequence in the book, there's a huge dinner table conversation scene with bankers and smugglers. Um, and Dr. Kynes, who is played by Max von Sydow in the Lynch version. And man, I cannot remember her name in, um, the Dilly Venue version, but she's fantastic in it. Um, but, you know, there's a whole sequence there that's huge and plays into a lot of, um, prophecy and world building and none of them take that, you know? So it's, it's, it's weird that he's villainy is making this massive two part movie to tell the story of one book, but he doesn't really stray that far from what Lynch did and was able to encapsulate in two hours and 16 minutes. So I don't know what we're going to get in book two. Cause it's not like he added a lot of stuff in part one <laughs> to the book. Um, but that being said, uh, I mean, I kind of had like a gee whiz kind of feeling as I was watching it, just seeing some of the imagery and, and, and how it contrasts to what I had already seen and kind of fell in love with, with Lynch. You know, it's really hard when you have that kind of that, that, um, that hurdle to overcome. And I think Villainy really does a great job of saying, Hey, you know what? He's got his thing. I'm going to do my thing. And it's going to be for the most part, very different in the way that it's presented, but in a way that is just as interesting and just as visually striking. I think he nails that. Um, and just for that alone, I really enjoyed what I watched half a movie or not be damned. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and the answer to your question, just because I happen to have it up, is uh, Sharon Duncan Brewster. Plays Sharon Dr. Duncan Kynes. Brewster. Oh, man. Yeah, she's great. We can talk about, we definitely got to talk about performances. But, uh, you know, just another thing that is so different and interesting was, again, when I was looking at some of the comparisons, Max von Sadow is Liet Kynes. Like when they describe him in the book for the most part, they're describing in my head, Max von Sydow. Um, and they take such a left-hand turn with her, uh, with her, him, him turning into a her in the Villeneuve version. But she brings that same kind of um, erudite elegance and just kind of 
even though it really doesn't get into it in either book, just that he is this massive Fremen leader. Mm-hmm. Um, she brings it. And she was one of my spoilers briefly as she is in the movie. She's one of my favorite things in it. Just, just her, her, her presence and her command in the role. Because she is able to, I mean, they, 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 they underscore that a bunch that she walks in both worlds is that she's sort of, uh, she's able to, like she, her, her allegiances obviously are with the, with the Fremen, but, uh, she's, you know, she, she knows how to play the game well enough that, uh, um, that she's accepted by both sides as being sort of an authority as such. Um, yeah, I, I think that as far as like adaptation choices, the, the thing that, and I'm not, I don't know if I'd speak as much to the Lynch version just because uh, I, I have seen it a couple of times, but it hasn't like it hasn't necessarily stuck with me as much, although I do like it. Um, but the the having more recently read the book and using that as my like, as the primary comparison, the the feeling and you and I think you even alluded to this with all the slow motion, beautiful people walking stuff is the 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 sense of like the from like from minute one. It, the I think what the movie's vibes give up is sort of a un like we're pointed in a single direction towards a grim destiny that is uh, unshakable, unmovable. Like the yeah. on 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 a on a cosmic scale, such that some f- details feel like they are they get sort of more or less ignored. Like uh, Doctor Yue's uh, betrayal. Like <clears throat> I like when they introduce him. Uh, and him being the like they they don't tip him off as being the traitor, which which is nice that they're not like you know winking and nudging that like hey see this guy he's you know what he's gonna do but the but also his betrayal of uh of of Duke Atreides is sort of like it almost feels like in like he's just sort of a cog in the larger machine of this stuff going on whereas I remember in the book there the the sense of you know, trying to suss out who is the traitor. And there's a uh, whole thing about who the traitor is. Right. Yeah. And, and they tell you flat out in the book that it's Dr. Yue, like literally like maybe 40 pages in the book, the, the Harkonnens or Harkonnens, if you're doing the Villeneuve version, um, are talking about their traitor and they're like, yeah, Dr. Yue, our traitor. <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, I guess it's not a shock in the book. <laughs> well, it's, it's not, but like there is sort of a, there is a journey that you go on with him. Whereas the, you know, five minutes that he's in that yeah. he ha- like, a, like he gets that first scene with, with Paul, uh, before the Gom Jabbar scene, but then like the real, like the, the actual thing that he has that's important to the plot is a few minutes. Um, and it's just, yeah, he, uh, he does the thing with, with the Duke and then, uh, and then there's the scene afterwards where he, uh, um, you know, he goes up to the, to, up to the Baron and that's, and he just sort of comes and goes. It's just, he's part of him. Um, he, he has no importance in and of himself. He's just only a part of the tapestry of the whole movie, which is grim, dark, and pretentious. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. And we should probably add at this point, um, we're not going to summarize this film or talk in like, you know, code, this is, we're going to assume that if you're listening to this, you know what Dune is, you have familiarity with the plot mechanics. Um, so we're just going to go ahead and just talk as if everyone knows what we're talking about. So, yeah. we, so I, I think that makes sense. And I think you're right. It, I think Villeneuve is really just interested in the grim messianic destiny of Paul. So everything else just kind of plays to that. Um, and that's a piece where I kind of wish, like, again, 
even though I'm not, I, I, I do really like Lynch's Dune. It, it, it just, because it was visually one of those things that I saw as a child, just the visuals kind of hold me. So I, I think I have a greater fondness for the film just by being exposed to it so young. But, um, there's, there's just a little bit more to make you kind of understand, like, how hard it would be to conceive of UA as the traitor. Where in the Villeneuve version, it's literally, I, I think you nailed it. He's just a cog in the machine. It's like, oh, there's a trailer. Oh, it's the doctor that we only saw for 30 seconds before in another scene. Okay. You know, it, it, and I, again, for, for a guy who only filmed half the movie, and it sounds like now I'm ragging on the movie, he only filmed half the movie. It's a half hour longer than the full movie. Like, I wish we would have gotten a little bit more I think this is probably if I have a bigger if I have a if I have a huge complaint for the film, I wish we had gotten a little bit more characterization from the supporting characters to understand like uh, like another person we were just talking about you know there's the search for the traitor in the book and everything. One of the major characters in all that is um, Thufir Hawat, yeah, the Mentat, uh, who it, they don't even say the word Mentat in in this movie. Like they actually show him run through his calculations. There's a brief scene in the beginning where his eyes roll up and turn white and he does it. Um, but, uh, he's like the chief assassin. <laughs> he's, he's like the master person there. And, uh, we learn really almost nothing about him, including whether he's alive or dead by the end of the movie. Um, same thing with, you know, this movie is literally chock full of A-list actors. You have, um, uh, Josh Brolin as Gurney Halleck. You have uh, Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho. You get like a little bit of time with them, but not enough to really feel like, again, like, I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure Gurney Halleck's still alive. I don't know because they just leave him in the dust to continue on another story. Um, Duncan, obviously, we know what Duncan's fate is, um, but I just wish there was a little bit, if you only got half the movie and you've spent almost three hours, so much of it is focused on the core of Jessica and Paul and his visions and what's happening there that I feel like some of the other characters get short shrift, and I wish that wasn't the case here. I think that, uh, yeah, I think Gurney Halleck probably gets the the shortest uh, shrift, at least with at least with Duncan, you get it. You get the sense of his relationship with Paul. And uh, like, <clears throat> I think. Well, I think UA gets the shortest shrift. Yeah, UA gets the, yeah, UA gets the gets, shortest shrift. He's in one seat and then he, he's the traitor and it's over. Right? But, but, you're, <laughs> but, but in the sense of like, well, OK, yeah, I do want more with Dr. UA, but also I know that like his 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 role is to be the traitor so he gets to do that whereas i feel like yeah like i think josh broly's gurney halleck is probably the one where i was like i i wanted more from yeah. from from gurney in uh and yeah the the <laughs> when his uh when thufir Hawat's eyes go rolling up in the back of the head that was when i realized oh that's who that is like oh that's I, yeah yeah like you never would have known otherwise <laughs> otherwise yeah you don't really get a sense of it um and and i suspect and then my like I suspect we'll probably get a lot more Javier Bardem as Stilgar in the sequel if we ever get that. So I'm I'm holding out that uh, I I won't say that I want more from him because I suspect that he's probably going to be a lot more in the second yeah. half if we get it. Um, but this probably brings me to my question uh, before after you saw it. And before I saw it, when we were doing our horror episode, you said that there were a couple of performances 
that you yes. were like, there are, I do have some issues. And I was curious to, for you to elaborate on that. Cause I was watching the movie going, who do I think Chris didn't like in this movie? <laughs> when I was how funny it. that you, how funny that you bring that up immediately after talking about Javier Bardem. <laughs> well, it's because it literally, I saw the face. I saw your face change when I said the words Javier Bardem. So I was like, okay, I think I figured it out. I think there's, there's, so yeah, if we're going to talk about performances and actually I, I would almost throw Josh Brolin in this as well. Um, Josh Brolin is, so let's start with Josh Brolin and Jason Momoa, Josh Brolin and Jason Momoa play Josh Brolin and Jason Momoa in this movie. Jason Momoa is literally just Jason Momoa in a different costume and for about 10 minutes shaved. Yeah. <laughs> other than that, it's literally like he walked out of any other movie. He talks and acts like any other movie for a film that tries to, you know, import this. I'm going to keep using your phrase, this grim destiny, this this messianic journey of, of Paul um, rife with some great language. And when we talk about the other side of the coin, I'll talk about Oscar Isaac till the cows come home. Uh, Jason Momoa is literally just a surfer dude who fights. And he talks like a surfer dude who fights. And the anachronisms of the way he uses language just threw me out of it a little bit. You know, I like him. Um, he gets a little bit more to do in this movie. I wish I had seen a little bit more, but it, it's fine. Um, he has a huge, you know, role in the book, but I'm not going to compare it to the book. The, the film has to work on its own. And he's, he's good in the film um, in a way that I wish Josh Brolin was. I wish Josh Brolin had the meat of the role that Jason Momoa had. Because Josh Brolin, the problem problem is, is Josh Brolin is just gruff Josh Brolin, and he doesn't get to do a lot as j- gruff Josh Brolin, except be the butt of a joke with Oscar Isaac because he doesn't smile, uh, get angry when anyone gets too close to the count, and then fight for like two minutes. And that's all Gurney Halleck does in this movie. I, I mean, there is the one big fighting scene with with Paul, which is just literally kind of the Lynch version with a couple of small variations. But I, I wish there was more for him to do. He's just he, Josh Brolin. He doesn't get to stretch. He gets he gets a single joke, which I appreciate, which is at the at the ceremony where yeah. uh, where uh, Lito says smile. And he says, I am smiling. I was like, that, that's the one that's the one like moment of mild personality that I think Josh Brolin gets to show. But yes, but it's I, but it's but he's exhibiting the Josh Brolin personality. <laughs> like, yeah. like he's not exhibiting the personality of an actor. He's just being Josh Brolin in that role. Yeah. Right. He's always that kind of tough guy, just grim and gritty, which is again, Gurney Halleck is, is portrayed very differently. Uh, in every other version. So, you know, fine, be, be Josh Brolin. I just, it's just Josh Brolin. And yeah. then we get to Javier Bardem, <laughs> who is so full of Javier Bardem in the beginning. It's hard. I was just like, oh, Javier Bardem, pl- come on, come on, please, Javier Bardem. But, and this is where it gets weird. The second time, I kind of liked him a little bit more, <laughs> especially when you get to. Si- I, I think my biggest problem is is the beginning with the standoff when he's presented to Duke Leto. And that's played like literally almost exactly as how the book portrays it. Um, they, they switch some dialogue here and there. Um, but but that's 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 the scene in a nutshell. And it it just kind of rubs me the wrong way because it's just Javier Bardem kind of again being Javier Bardem. And it's just, it it, it was, it's hard not to see him and think of some of the other roles that he's been in. Um, But then watching it the second time, I was less 
bothered by that scene. And then I was more impressed with the later scenes because he does come up in the end. Um, the movie is kind of set up to the second half of the movie, if it ever gets made, will will largely be Fremen you know, based and, and based in their community. So when he shows up again at the end, it's um, he's in his element. And I think his, his demeanor and his acting work really well in that element as the leader of, of these wandering kind of Bedouins and nomads of the desert. Um, and it worked better for me, but again, of all the performances, those performances just don't work as well for me as the others. I would say that I would agree, except that I like Jason Momoa, Jason Momoa-ing uh, around. I feel like he's, he, <laughs> I think I saw someone says that Jason Momoa seems to be the only person in this movie who realized that space is cool. Uh, and, and that's a thing too. Like, yeah, he's, he's the only one having fun in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And he brings a lightness that I think this movie needs. But the problem is when you're the only one bringing that lightness, it, it just lands with a thud. Like he has no one helping him. And I should add, I like Jason Momoa. <laughs> yeah. I see him in other things and I enjoy him <clears throat> quite a bit. He's just, he's too much Jason Momoa here. And he is not to use a drowning reference in a movie that there is no water, you know, water is, is life, but he's drowned by just how heavy handed the rest of this movie is. I think if there's someone that I feel otherwise gets done dirty in this movie or someone who maybe just be overqualified for the the smaller role that he gets is I kind of wanted Dave Batista to have more to do. Uh, and Me maybe too. I kind of I kind of and maybe maybe we get that with the sequel. Like I know we get more Stilgar. Uh I know we like almost by definition have to get more yeah. Stilgar in the, in the second half. Um I, I think the I think the second half will be called Dune Part 2 Stilgar. I mean I'm going to guess maybe that's <laughs> what they're going to call it. No. But but uh uh, like for as much as like Stellan Skarsgar, I like who, by the way, like I, I really, really, it, it's brief, but he's, he's fucking amazing. As, so yeah, as the so Baron. there's, it, it, there's a, exactly a guy who has very little time, but holy cow, every second he is on screen, he is mesmerizing. Yeah. He, he's fantastic. doing his, doing his best Marlon Brando and apocalypse <laughs> yeah. now, like <laughs> Colonel Kurtz, like, yeah. It is very much homage. Yeah, there's no. I, but with, I, I challenge Villeneuve to say that this is this is not inspired by <laughs> Apocalypse Now. But the but the whole the whole visual <laughs> aesthetic design of like how they handle that stuff, um, I feel is just that's probably one of my like of of the smaller details of this. The 100%. Baron Harkonnen is is definitely one of my favorites. But like Dave. But uh, Dave Batista, similarly, as, as much time, but it just feels like he's just sort of uh, angry sidekick uh, in yeah. a way that I like. No, I've seen Dave Batista do a lot cool, a lot of cool things. I would like for him to be better used. And and again, I've seen him do really cool things in other Denny Villeneuve films. He's yeah, he fantastic was, in the beginning of Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I I don't know if we get to see more of him, but I mean, if we're gonna round out, like I mean, we've we've talked about some of the cast stuff that we're not as uh, psyched by, but like the the rest of this i mean is just is just stunning like where where should, where yeah. do you want to start do you want to start with oscar isaac so yeah we can start with oscar isaac um i have gone on record in numerous places and i will go on record here oscar isaac might be the most handsome attractive man i have ever seen in my life and i say that as a hetero cis male who's been happily you know with the same woman for 30 years 
But holy moly, man, he is just, he is charisma incarnate for me. Uh, and like he knows what type of movie he's in as well. And he plays it. He plays it beautifully. Uh, the scene with him and Paul at, at his father's grave where, you know, he just tells him, you know, what if you Paul says, what if I don't want to, you know, what if I don't want to be this, be the next Duke. And he just says to him, well, if you say no, then you're still the only thing I ever needed you to be. I needed you to be my son. Holy cow. I mean, like he's in the palm of his hand at that moment. And it's a, and he can do that with every line. He does that with every scene that he's in. He's like um, Stellan Skarsgård in that regard. It's a different, less showy role, but he fully inhabits and knows what he needs to do. And he's able to put those little pieces in um, where he can to kind of make it stand out and be vibrant. Like, th- th- And that's what I mean with Momoa. Momoa can only be Momoa, and, Mom- and that's great. But when he doesn't have the help around him, it, it just kind of falls flat. And I think Oscar Isaac... I don't think anyone's going to argue with me that Oscar Isaac is a better actor than Jason Momoa, just pure acting range and skill. Sure. Oscar Isaac knows how to inject little tiny things that elevate, you know, not only what he's doing, but elevates the scene around him as well. And I think that also goes for, um, and I might not be in the majority with this, but man, I love Rebecca Ferguson too, as Lady Jessica. Uh, I, I, I get from her, how horrible it is to have put her son into this situation and just kind of the differing emotions she feels where one minute she's proud of him and one minute she's just horribly, you know, ashamed of what she's done because she knows what this is going to do to him. And she plays that beautifully in this movie. Yeah. I, uh, I, well, I think is the, you know, you have to do the, the double, well, the, I mean, and, uh, and, the Duke even refers to this. He's like when he asks uh, in in his scene with uh, with with Lady Jessica that like I'm not asking his mother. I'm asking oh, Benny Gesserit. Just like another that, great Oscar Isaac moment. <laughs> abs- but 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 it's it's a it's a great Oscar Isaac moment. B it speaks to the character of Lady Jessica where she yeah. she is doing two things. She is being a mom and she's also being a uh, Benny Gesserit conspirator uh, in right. the way that is is heavily alluded to the. Though, like, not fully in the way that we've talked about how the some of the plot machinations get subsumed into a larger, mm-hmm. like, just destiny kind of thing. Um, but yeah, she has to both be his mom and uh, pretty pretty cold uh at at in in alternating roles and i think she's excellently cast for uh for that purpose i think she nails it perfectly so then that has to lead us to i mean we can talk about some of the other minor characters here and there but that has to lead us to 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 paul uh who again just if you're got nothing else to go on but the lynch version is an entirely different performance i mean this what timothy chalamet does is so far removed i think from what Kyle McLaughlin does as Paul. So how did that work for you? I was thinking about that and I'm thinking about Kyle McLaughlin and just sort of the like irrepressible, just like positive vibes you get from Kyle <laughs> yeah. McLaughlin at all times. Um, and, and, and you talked about how I think previously uh, off mic, we had talked about how like Kyle McLaughlin, he feels like in that, in that role, in that movie feels like he's born into this. He's like, I'm here. I know what I'm doing. And I, and 
that's definitely a take on it. But I also wonder how much that is just Cal McLaughlin being like, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to single-handedly power the production of this film with my positive energy. And yeah, I think uh, that was one of his earliest films, <clears throat> if I'm not mistaken, if not his earliest film. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's, and that's, that's totally fine. And, and similarly speaking, the, and I don't use, uh, I'm going to use this as least pejoratively as possible. The fuckboy energy that Timothy Chalamet brings to this, uh, to this role, <laughs> I think is a very different take, but one that is, is equally as compelling. Like if we're talking about this being a, uh, a trap, like we're walking into a trap. The whole movie is about, we are knowingly with pretty, like without, like we, we all, everyone has bad vibes about this. No one feels good about this. And I think that Timothy Chalamet as a mopey younger teenager version being like, I don't want to do this, um, is, is perfectly suited to the, the vibes that the rest of the movie is, is wanting to set him up for. And one of the reasons I like the Oscar Isaac move, uh, move so much is, I mean, it's, you know, Oscar Isaac, good dad. I think you and I both respond positively <laughs> to good dad moments. Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that's a really good moment, but also it, it speaks to Timothy Chalamet's like mopey, whiny teenager um, vibe to the whole thing, uh, such that by the time you get to uh, w- by the time you get to his escape and sort of him trying to pull pieces together and realizing what it does, like it does fully sell him on the like you 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 have to the you have to the switch has to happen where he eventually comes to be like okay. I'm going to do this. I'm going to try and figure this out. I'm going to try and pull pieces together uh, based on what my dad told me, based on stuff I've learned. I'm yeah. going to... And so, the, the I think the real... I think this movie works or doesn't work based on whether you buy him as Paul. And I think that by... Or as the the turn that he has to make towards being the uh, the Messiah, the, the Kwisatz Chatterach. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Uh, Good but enough. Yeah. Good enough. Um, the and, and and I and I think that he I think that he does like there are moments where you can see him sort of like start to come alive and realize okay I have to be an active participant in this. Yeah, because I think if 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 there is an arc to part one, like if if it's only half a movie, it still has to have a complete arc, and that complete arc is Paul's arc of coming from a you know, kind of a passive, I live this life and I don't know what's going on and I don't know what I want to do, to understanding that he is partly being used by the Bene Gesserit and partly put into this position by his mother and having to overcome that to the end of part one where he accepts like, I'm going to follow in my father's footsteps. I'm going to act on, you know, I'm, I'm being called to action, which is the whole conversation at, at, at the grave that, uh, you know, they're not born to it. They're, they're called to it and they respond. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to go into the desert, you know, and follow these people and try to fulfill my father's promise to form an alliance and make this a better place. That's the arc. And it, I mean, and that arc does complete in this first half of the movie. Um, and if you don't buy it, yeah, this is probably going to be a problem for you. But for all the reasons you said, uh, I do buy it. I <laughs> I don't know if I would use the term fuckboy <laughs> so loosely with but- Timothy Chalamet. Um, I, I will say, he, I mean, the thing that is great about him in this film, in this role, it's, I mean, his features are so striking. Those eyes and just the angle of his jawbone and, and, and everything. You can't take your eyes off of him and you need to not take your eyes off of him because he is becoming this focal point, this messiah to the planet. 
So it really works, but his torture over being put into that position really works as well. Um, and it, it, he works really great with Oscar Isaac. He works really great with um, Rebecca Ferguson. So, you know, if that's the core that we're that we're dealing with, it, it, I can't think of a better combination of actors. I mean, they they really nailed the casting for the leads here. Um, I want to ask you something else while we're talking about. So we've been talking a lot about performances and a little bit about about story. I want to talk about some of the technical things and some of the direction things that Villeneuve does. One of the things that I really liked about this film was the sound. Just it's so you. It's, so the one thing that I will say is, and maybe or maybe not, we can talk about it if we want to throw my diatribe in at the end of this as like an extra bonus. But one of the things that I had talked about with the experience of um, watching it at home versus in the theater is that, hey, look, you know, I I don't know, Denny, where you go to see movies, but a lot of the movie theaters around me kind of suck. They're not poorly lit. They don't have the greatest, you know, screens and stuff like that. So I was at least able to watch it on a 70 inch 4K perfectly calibrated, you know, television screen. I got to see it in 4K when I watched it on HBO Max. I had no problems with, you know, bits or pixelation or anything like that. It was great. Um, I probably suffered from the sound. And one of the things that I loved from what I was able to gather was how they use the voice in the movie. Yes. I was waiting to hear, like, how are you going to do that? How did that sound in the theater? Fucking tight. <laughs> I uh, can only imagine. Yeah. Um, the... <laughs> Yeah, the, the the voice sounded great, and it was spare and the and it's used sparingly enough that it's it it went so that it really makes an impact when it happens. The when Paul and Jessica are being uh, flown out on the thopter to uh, uh, to their to be tossed out into the desert, um, and they just they just start using the voice. I was it that was a yes. The sound I think is a great point i think in favor if if you can get the sound working uh and every if you can have the if a selling point i think on the theater experience is probably the sound um because the the score and yeah in those moments where they're doing the voice um it i think it, it really helps sell the the vibe that i was the the grim destiny vibe that i was getting is yeah. just this thing is fucking loud it's not it's not um it's not the Christopher Nolan in his last couple movies, like an interstellar tenant just being like dr- where it drowns out the sound of the actors. Like it's not like it's poorly mixed. You can hear everything, right. but it, but it is fairly, it can be overpowering at times uh, in a way that I think is appropriate for, for the, for the way that Villeneuve is choosing to, to tell the story. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that I, I really, j- you make a great contrast with uh, Christopher Nolan, another guy who insists you're doing it wrong if you don't see his film in a theater. But yeah, uh, it, it, Dune sounded mixed beautifully. Like there was no problem hearing the actors, the voices, or the music or anything like that. Um, also, uh, us being kind of metalheads after a, a sort, I mean, visually, so many scenes in this movie look like the still to a metal album, right down to the beginning of the movie looks like sleep dope smoker it literally looked like they said hey remember that album cover dope smoker i'm gonna just make that the opening image of dune um 
again, it's so different than the wackiness that we saw with the Lynch version, but it really works. I don't know if it's because it's a little bit more of a European aesthetic and just the costumes and the colors on display are, are so beautiful and so clearly delineated, um, you know, between planets, you have Gidi prime and how that looks and Kaladin and then Arrakis and then, um, I can't remember the name of the other place uh, where the Sadukar are housed, um, but that's another planet that has a, a very different vibe to it as well. Uh, I, I, it's hard to fault his visual aesthetic. Um, did you get that same sense? And I mean, you're seeing it in a much more blown out um, screen. So, 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 how is the impact of seeing that, you know, upfront? Did it work for you? Was there stuff that was too much, or like, where did it land for you? I, I mean, for all of the practical reasons that I am for the rest of the last two years and probably the next two years after this, not going to movie theaters, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't need to see it an, again in theaters, but I am glad that I got to at least see it the one time um, for the sense, uh, for just how the sense of scale, like for the, we were talking about how the music really, um, if it's, if you're hearing it with that surround IMAX, et cetera, experience, it, it really, it really is a, is a gut punch. And I think that the, especially the design of the ships, like the sort of more, like brutalist uh like just the, the scale that you get from seeing those ships that big is is cool as hell um and, and yeah like this would be <clears throat> all all things being equal uh i'm not gonna judge anyone's choices obviously if they don't want to go see it in the theaters but should we ever find ourselves in a non-pandemic time and this plays <clears throat> it would absolutely be go worth see it yeah absolutely worth seeing in a theater um because i think a lot of the the visual the the way that the the visual aesthetics are put together absolutely benefits seeing them on as wide a screen as as big a screen as you possibly can yeah i can imagine i can't wait to get back to theaters like i said and i i should make clear um Again, if it wasn't clear before, um, if you guys, if, if you feel safe enough and you're in an area where you feel safe to go to the movie theater, God bless you. Go and do it and have a fantastic time. I personally don't have that sense of security yet. Um, you know, so I'm probably going to wait a little bit longer. Um, but I honestly can't wait to get back to the cinema. Uh, my, my sticking point and my ire at, uh, Mr. Villeneuve and uh, Nolan is just that their insistence that that's the correct way to go see a, a movie. Um, which I, I find fault with and I'm doing it wrong if I see it any other way. Um, but that, that, that's a great point. Uh, uh now did you see it in IMAX as well? So did you get oh, that yeah. heightened scope? So I got do they the, change? Like, does the aspect change for certain ratio for certain pieces or I, for, for a minute as the movie was starting, I was trying to keep track of that. And at a certain point I kind of just got completely sucked in and, so, and, so and, and, I, and I didn't even at that point, uh, uh, I lost track of it at a certain point. So yeah. I, I'm not sure how much of it, cause like a lot of times with those IMAX type of things, the, you know, there's scenes that get shot in IMAX. And so the, the aspect ratio changes when you're going from the non aspect, the non IMAX scene to the IMAX scene. Um, but there wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I noticed. Um, okay. Uh, it, it didn't, it didn't take me out at all. Something else that's barely noticeable uh, in the film, uh, just in case you're wondering, we're almost, uh, you know, 40, 45 minutes in, we haven't talked about Zendaya. It's because she's not really in the movie. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I appreciate that they tried as best as they can to, and I actually think it fits the, 
I think it overfits my overall take on the movie that Paul's series of dreams and visions about what the future holds, um, that they try and crowbar uh, Chani into that section of the movie just so that she has something to do. But then, and like, I'm sure that we'll get, I mean, by plot of the movie, we're going to get a lot more Zendaya in the second half, like Stilgar. Yes, absolutely. Um, but the 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 whereas you said that Stilgar was more interesting in the in the second uh, scene at the end, while uh, Zendaya is also in that scene, and she doesn't the 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 movie has you thinking that this is going to be like a power couple. Um, the, this this is the destiny of these people and 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 like again we've all anyone who has anyone who's listening to this we've already making the assumption that you've read the book or watched the movie or watched the lynch movie um so you know that they do get together and so like i'm sh- and they are both you know attractive young movie stars i'm sure that they have they have the ability to you know pull the chemistry together for the sequel but in that one scene where they actually do meet for the first time after he's been having these visions uh there's not uh, i mean for her obviously she wouldn't have any reason to uh recognize him or to have any clue into that stuff at all but he kind of just he he obviously is like wait a minute i'm seeing something here that like you're the girl from my literal is he's it's not it's not it's literally the girl of my dreams uh in, in a very real uh in a very real sense and i'm glad that he doesn't just immediately try to you know take a pass at her but there's not really much sense of immediate like the chemistry isn't immediate with them and so i'm hoping that they like really nail that detail down <laughs> I'm sure they will because again, the, the sequel, yeah. you know, she seems to be a really good actress and everything that I've seen her in. Um, I'm sure the chemistry will be there again. It's just a matter of she's really only there at the end, and she's in a couple of still images in his dreams that they repeat like 75 times throughout the course of this movie. Which again, I can you know I can completely see and understand. Like, hey, you could you may have if you had cut and trimmed just a little bit, maybe not so many slow motion scenes of her looking back at him across the desert in yet another vision, which is the same vision. Maybe we could have gotten this movie wrapped in wrapped in one nice three hour bundle, but, um, but that's not the case. This is the movie we got. And for the movie we got, even without the firm commitment to a second half, I still really enjoyed the movie we got. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, for people who have a lot, like I'm a more recent Dune convert, but like for people who are have long standing, if you're a long standing Dune fan, you have to live with like, like again, we can. This is not a, a diss on any of the previous adaptations, but like if you want something that is the, you know, I I want a fully realized adaptation of Dune that doesn't skimp out on anything really like that's not been the experience of a dune fan like you have to be just be like all right i have the lynch version i have the sci-fi miniseries i think there was like a children of dune uh yeah. thingy that exists at some point that had james mcavoy in it or some weird thing yeah um the you just kind of have to be like all right this is what i have this is what i have to deal with um and uh if we only ever get the first half of uh villeneuve's version then this will just be the next of well this was really good and we only got half of it so 
And I think again, too, like, do you really want like a completely honest and faithful scene by scene adaptation of this book? Because it just brings me back to like, you know, we've had those complaints before. Um, most famously with, um, Let's use The Shining as an example. So The Shining is a great Stephen King book and Stanley Kubrick made his version of The Shining and Stephen King was like, "This I hate this version of The Shining. It, does, it takes so many liberties and it does this different thing. It doesn't even have the uh, the the uh, the animals that come to life and, and 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 everything." So then, you know, there was a miniseries made of The Shining that was much more faithful to the book. And that was kind of garbage. <laughs> it was kind of garbage because books are not movies and movies are not books. And, you know, even if we get what turns out to be almost a six hour version of Dune from Delhi Villeneuve between the two movies, I mean, we've already lost like huge chunks of the book in the first half that they're not going to be able to sandwich in later. Uh, so you're not getting that super faithful adaptation anyway. You're getting a vision. You're getting a reflection of of the source material. The source material will always be there. If you really want to see, I, I have heard, I'm not going to go back based on what I've saw, but if you really want to see what a faithful adaptation of Dune will look like, you can go onto YouTube. They do have the entire sci-fi miniseries there, the whole six hour or however long that, that four-part series is. Check it out. I don't know. I got about, about 10 minutes into it and it was just atrocious. <laughs> I, I, okay. What I had heard about it, and maybe I'll have to go talk to my parents because I think they ended up watching the whole thing, was that it was, it was like, like plot wise, it was closer to the, the book, but just the production value wasn't there at all. Well, the production value, look, it's a sci-fi original series. The production value is not going to be there. And I can live with that. Um, but you know, like when your first scene is Paul Atreides, like super old, looks like he's like 32 or 33 years old. <laughs> and he's, he's like lounging in a chair. And he, and he, I think he literally says something like, do I have to go to Arrakis? <laughs> and, and, and Lady Jessica's like, come on, Paul, we have to do this. That's why we're royalty. And I was just like, oh, this is... I don't know why we decided to do the film this way, but you know okay. what? Maybe I don't need to watch it. That may, I think you've just sold me against watching you it. Know John, watch the first five, 10 minutes and just see, <laughs> just see if you want to continue for there. Otherwise though, uh, this was just fun to do. I, I, I was super psyched because I had no one to talk to after I saw it on Thursday. And I'm like, I want to talk about this movie because I do really like it. Um, so I would just kind of, um, I know you usually do the wrap up, but it, let me just wrap up by saying um, we'll be posting this fairly shortly to Cinema Duel. Uh, and if you guys have thoughts about it, we would love to hear it because uh, I'm sure like any massive science fiction franchise, this is going to have a lot of different opinions. <laughs> so I'd love to hear what other people thought of the movie. Um, it's, it was just fun to kind of sit down and chat and geek out over this. So uh, anything that you want to add before we kind of sign off and get out of here, John? Uh, no, other than just uh, keep uh, keep an eye on uh, our feed for next week when our uh, when our new episode's coming out, our regular episode. It's going to be on horror because it's the season for that. And uh, yeah, so stick around and uh, check out cinemaduel.com for all of Chris's Hooptober writings and uh, my ongoing series uh, on the films of Agnes Varda. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care, everybody.